Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the Global Sales Director at Full Scale. It's Cooper Krause. How are you doing today, Cooper? I'm doing good, Alex. How are you doing, man? I appreciate you having me on. I'm doing good. Thank you for taking the opportunity to come on the show. I'm excited to learn more about your journey and your rise to the challenge. So what we do with all of our guests is we go straight to Biggie. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Cool. Uh, so I am from a, a town called St. Joseph, Missouri, which is about an hour north of Kansas City. Fairly small town, probably about 70, 70 75,000 people. Um, and really the, the majority of my, my life growing up really until sophomore year of college was heavily, heavily focused and involved with basketball. So I played up through my freshman year of college. Um, again, a, a pretty small town uh, in St. Joe. So um, if you're even decent at, at a sport, then uh, you get to, you get, uh, you know, start playing the traveling basketball and, and you get to kind of travel around the, around the Midwest, which was uh, a really unique experience. And, um, I think that where I'm at now, uh, a lot of what I learned through basketball has has got a lot of overlap. Um, so, so yeah, that was that was really a huge part of my life. I mean, I played played all year round for for 15 years. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of uh, what I was what I was spending most of my time on growing up. What brought you to basketball? Was there like a certain player that you maybe inspired to be, or was it just the athletic competition? That's a good question. Um, so I'm, I have seven siblings, so really big family and I'm right in the middle of the pack. And so my, my older siblings and my dad, they put a basketball in my hand really early on. Um, they were, they were pretty good at uh, themselves. Um, and so they put a basketball in my hand pretty early on. And then of course, you know, I grew up in the nineties. So, uh, I caught the tail end of Jordan's career and became a huge MJ fan and, uh, became a Kobe fan. And, and so, um, it was just part of the, it was kind of just part of the family fabric and three of my, well, so four of my siblings are, are step siblings. Uh, but we've, we've been siblings since I was seven. So it kind of feels like, like real family. But so three of my brothers were all within like a two to three year range. So we all played basketball together growing up and it was super competitive and, and really fun. So, um, it just made it really easy to, 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 uh, focus on, on basketball and let it be a big part of our lives. Growing up, did you have any goals that you were wanting to accomplish? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, early on, I mean, I was certainly like, hey, I'm going to go play D1 basketball and, and see what happens. And uh, that was, again, that was a product of living in a small town and, and being decent at basketball and then not knowing what, you know, what the talent in Kansas City looked like until I got to high school. And then I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. maybe maybe there's just a different level like there's just a different fabric of athlete and player at that d1 level and I was (laughs) I was nowhere close so um you know lucky enough to go play at a small school for a little bit but um early on it was I'm gonna go play basketball at the collegiate level and and see what happens um but uh you know to be honest it was it was more so um trying to just change early on I realized that there was an opportunity for someone in our family to kind of change the dynamic of the family I mean we all four of my brothers and my dad and my stepmom all work at the same factory in St. Joe and then my my mom and my sister are are servers and so you know they they provided a a great life for us Um, but nobody had ever really stepped into a college classroom or or done anything outside of that the the 
kind of traditional, uh, well, you know, blue collar roles. And so I got pretty focused on that early on. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different and get out of St. Joe and, and see what I can see what I can do. Was your family like hesitant about you trying to break out of that mold and going to college or were they all supportive in a way for you? Yeah, they were super supportive. I mean, I, you know, during college, I would get cracked for coming home over the holidays and being the college boy. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but but super supportive. They're, they're very happy for me. And, um, you know, it's Kansas City is about 45 minutes hour away from St. Joseph's. So it's, it's just far enough away to really break away and, and do my own thing and create a life for myself, but also, you know, go home and remember where I came from and my roots and, and, uh, and stay, stay tied to them. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're super supportive. You kind of mentioned breaking out. I'm actually in Columbia, Missouri. So we're kind, oh, of, nice. kind of near. And I grew up in St. Louis. And anywhere you go in St. Louis, someone knows you, you know the people. So when I go yeah. out here, it's kind of like, okay, I have a fresh start. No one knows me unless yep. somehow someone I went to high school with lives out here, which I'd be shocked. But I don't know. Yeah see them at all right well and i've noticed it when i've spent time in st louis and i and i met some people in college from st louis it, it seems like they're very interested in what high school you went to yeah. like i like i i've just i've observed that in conversations like it's like what high school what part of the city um yeah it's it's pretty it's I, st louis is very like uh it feels very like home homey if you're from st louis it's like this is a the whole city is a clique it's like you don't want to leave it, but then some people are like inching their way. But I love the whole. When I went to college, I went to that college, Lindenwood University, and think okay. every time. So, what high school did you go to? Are you from this area? And I'm like, yep. Why? Because everyone has a story <laughs> about every high school. And I'm like, how do you guys know this? Like, <laughs> I don't even pay that much attention to all that. Yeah. Did funny. you have any challenges growing up that you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, I, I'll preface that with uh, understanding that being a, a white male, uh, you probably run into less friction than anybody else. Um, so although I've had some challenges, that, that helps me keep things in perspective. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, makes things a little bit easier. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. I, uh, so again, I mentioned I had seven siblings. Uh, my, my parents got divorced whenever I was seven. Um, I've had a, a few brothers in and out of prison. Um, I, a lot of my family has dealt with substance abuse issues. Um, and so I think those were the things that led me to, okay, I've, I've, uh, I'm extremely grateful for my family and, and, um, given their circumstances that they were dealt whenever they were ch children, which, you know, much worse than, than mine, um, I'm really, really grateful for the position they put me in and the resources that I have because of them. But there's still uh, a way that I can kind of, you know, level up and, and uh, create a name for, for myself and for my family um, that, that would uh, resemble what, what my parents taught me, which is, you know, hard work, um, integrity, doing the right thing, even if it's annoying as hell to do, telling the truth, even if people don't want to hear it do all that just in a, in a different way and at a different level. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, the, the, that was really challenging. I mean, when my older brother went to prison, that was like losing my, losing my best friend, you know, and, um, I was 12, 13 years old. And, and so, 
um, you know, that was, that was certainly uh, a challenge. And I think it's all about, you look at the situation like that and it's either going to drive you towards behavior that, that might get you in a bad situation where I was certainly, I was certainly on the brink of that just because I, I grew up, uh, you know, very strapped financially, you know, uh, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money, um, didn't grow up in great areas. And so you're just, then you're more likely to be surrounded by people who, uh, might be, might be doing things that, that you, you see some quick money coming in, or, I mean, you, that really becomes a part of your reality. And, and I was a kid on the brink that I could go this way. Uh, thankfully I was just good enough at basketball. I had the right people around me, the right support, to where that kind of pulled me this way and, and put myself around the right group of friends. Um, and so it was, it was looking at the situations that I uh, witnessed with, with my family and saying, Hey, is this going to be where I go? Or am I, am I going to use these negative situations as a motivation or a reminder and, and fuel to do what I know I can do. Um, and, and I was lucky enough, like I said, just to, to really throw myself into a lot of situations that got me in front of the right people and, and uh, you know, just doing my best to capitalize on, on that as much as I can. Would you say basketball was kind of something like a saving thing for you? If you weren't doing basketball, your path might have went in a different direction. No doubt. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. Like I, I, cause I didn't even, I didn't even know where I was going to college until April like April of my senior year. Oh, wow. I got, I had no idea. And again, nobody in my family had ever been to college. There wasn't a blueprint for that. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, we didn't have great college prep at my high school. Um, so I was pretty unaware. Uh, I just knew I wanted to go play basketball somewhere. And so I ended up getting a scholarship to a really small school in Nebraska called Peru state. And uh, I mean, it was smaller, like the college was smaller than my high school. So it was a, it was a tiny spot, but I still got to get out of St. Joe and uh, that just opened my eyes to what, what, what the possibilities were. And then after a year there, I just, I realized that that college, you can only have, they only offer educational degrees. So you can only be a teacher coming out of that college, which is, uh, which is an awesome profession, but I just went to that school because it was the one place that gave me an opportunity to go play ball. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know, what, what would have happened if I didn't have basketball, to be honest. When you mentioned that the school was small, was it the, for you, was it the right decision to try out that small of a school instead of going to like a bigger university with not having the knowledge of what goes on with at colleges or right. what you need to get into those schools? Uh, in hindsight, probably, but to be honest with you, I didn't, I wasn't looking at options with college. Like it, it was just like, whoever's going to give me a shot, You're I'm right. going to go there. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to go there cause I need this. Uh, but, but looking back and then, you know, I, after my freshman year, I transferred to Northwest up in Maryville just to go be a student and enjoy college. And uh, I, I am thankful that I had that first year with, with some structure because I think that helped me not completely lose sight of what I was trying to accomplish in college. But even with that, you know, I graduated, but it, it took me some time. And I, I just, I really believe like I, I was not the guy that was cut out for college. Like I got, I got my degree, but it just wasn't my thing. Like I, I've never, I never had good grades in school. Didn't have good grades in college. I just got by, 
I worked full time my last two years of college selling insurance. I just didn't, I don't know why, but it, it never, it was just one of those things where it never stuck with me. I knew I was going to be fine. And I just, I just had to get that piece of paper and I got it. And, and it's definitely opened doors for me, but it just, school was just never my thing, man. I was just ready to get to work. I could be similar in that way. I was not a college to me. It was, I just wanted to get the degree and get out. Like, yeah. Then I kind of had to get out of my comfort zone to like reach to some people, interact with people, join yep. organizations and just enjoy being there. But I was always waiting for, okay, when am I graduating? Like, how do I get this fast? Because I yeah. love the real world. I wanted to make them up, make all the money I can. <laughs> yep. I look back at my time in college and I say the time that I spent there was worth it. I mean, I, For would, sure. I would do it again. Just not take the classes, just enjoy the social right. aspects of there. Well, yeah, the experience, the experience that you get just from meeting people that you would have never met. I mean, that is just as, is just as if not more educational than, than the, the courses that you take. I mean, I, I met some people who really changed, I mean, really changed my life in college. Yes, you kind of learn more about yourself with interacting with people that you've never met until the day of class starting or the day you join an organization. What was your dream job that you wanted to go for during your college time? Dude, <laughs> that, that, that changed so many times because, again, I, I mean, honestly, man, I just had – I just knew I wanted to do something – different and I knew I wanted to be in the professional world I mean I I had at one point I was a psychology major I at one point it was economics um I just I just I, I yeah man I, I didn't have one I was just like I just gotta get out there and find I gotta test a bunch of shit to figure out what it is I want to do because I don't know and I again I didn't have like a, a role model or a mentor um or anything like that to, to know what that was like. I mean, I looking back, like I've always, I've always really enjoyed interacting with new people. Like I, I love things like this. Um, so that, so that makes, makes sense that I'm in sales now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I, again, I think, um, there's a lot of overlap between competitive sports and sales. And so that just kind of groomed me, my, my, my life in basketball grew me to, to be pretty effective in sales. But I, I, I mean, so I was in Kansas City serving tables. This is actually kind of crazy. And honestly, if I wouldn't have taken this job at a restaurant in downtown Power and Light, I don't know what would have happened. But I was I was serving tables at Bar Louie and PNL, and uh, this was May of 2014. And I had transferred to UMKC. So I, I did three colleges. Like I'm telling you, I did not do the traditional route. I and I I, I like to tell that story because I need people to know that success can just happen however you make it happen. There's not, there's not a blueprint for it. And I think we see that disappearing anyway, but um, yeah, so I was on my third college. I was in Kansas city serving tables and I'm waiting on this group of like 13 people and uh, they, they check out. And this dude that I was waiting on comes up to me and he goes, Hey, if you can stay organized with 13 people and, and provide us customer service like you did, you can come sell insurance. And I was like, all right, cool. So I studied my, yeah, it was crazy. So I studied my, I studied for my, uh, property and casualty insurance test to sell auto and home insurance for like two weeks, took the test, passed it, went to work for them, making $10 an hour, 
uh, and then ten dollar commissions. It was like I was I was making less money selling insurance than serving, but I knew I had like that was my first way in, and that was while I was in undergrad still. So um, did that for two years while I finished up school, and uh, and then as soon as I graduated, I I got actually actually before I graduated, like three months before I graduated, I got a uh, I got a job at at Robert Half, which is like one of the world's largest staffing firms. Um, and they took me in before I even graduated and then it's just kind of propelled since, since then. So, um, so to answer your question, I didn't really have a dream job. I just knew I wanted to get out there and find out what, what my opportunities were. So when you were getting that or getting asked about insurance, were you hesitant about it? Like, do I feel that I'm cut out for that industry or you're like, I'm taking any opportunity I can and going for it? I, and I don't, I'm not, I think this comes from, um, having, having not a whole lot growing up. Uh, you, you just get cut from a certain cloth where it's like, when you have an opportunity, you do whatever it takes to, to get it done. And I've just always had that mindset. Even if I'm not great at something, I just, I know like I'm going to do what I need to do to figure it out, to be good at it. Cause I, I really hate being bad at shit. Like I'm not going to just daily be bad at something so i'm gonna figure it out um but i mean it, once we started talking i mean i really enjoyed the idea of sales and um and i mean i i do really like the 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 structure around metrics like you tell me to hit a number i'm gonna hit a number whether it's phone calls uh meetings actual closed deals like i i love all that because it's tied to competitiveness and and, uh, and, and goal, daily goals and monthly goals and things like that. So when I started learning about that, I was like, oh, this, this sounds like it'll be fun. And it was. You kind of mentioned something that I live by is I always try to prove people wrong in a way because a lot of people doubt my ability in accomplishing mm. things or being able to do anything. Like with sports, I'm considered, I call myself a wild card because looking at me, you may not think I'm athletic, but when I get on that court, it's just, I'm going to show you what I can do. <laughs> and that's awesome. Fun being able to, even during this time and doing this podcast, people are like, Oh, you're not going to, you're not going to talk to people that you want to talk to. And I'm like, okay, you just gave me the ammunition to go out yep. there and show you and yep. what I'm able to do. And right. I enjoy every single second of it. And it sounded like with you and the insurance and getting those goals or look, getting on that track to completing the daily amount that you have to sell. It's that competitive side in you that yep. you aren't going to do anything until you get to that goal and finish it. Yeah. And I'll be honest, early on, it was, and it's changed a lot for me now that I've become a little bit more established, but early on it was like, okay, here's how many policies I have to sell to make this much money. And I was very motivated by the money because if you don't grow up with any of it, then you're like, I'm going to go get some and see what that feels like. Yep. Now that's that, that my, my, uh, my priorities and, and what I'm focused on in my day-to-day -day sales process and what I really care about has changed a whole lot. But that was the first, like, man, I could, I could really put myself in a comfortable, comfortable position if I, if I do this. So what degree did you end up graduating with? Communications. Okay. So that's just, just a yeah. generic one. Yeah. I mean, I, I took, I took several courses in psychology and philosophy and, and economics. Um, but my, my degree was ultimately in, in communications. The skills that you learned during 
getting the communications degree, has it helped you a big time when you were doing the insurance job? Yeah, I think so. I mean, man, truth be told, it's just, I, I, uh, I was just doing, doing the coursework to get it done. And I, I didn't gain a whole, as much as I could have for sure. But yeah, I mean, just, just baseline concepts absolutely helped me. What's the biggest thing? So looking back when you were growing up to completing college, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during those times? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it goes back to like uh, an odd amount of self-belief, just knowing I'm going to, I'm going to get it done, whatever, whatever it takes. I mean, I just kind of that, that uh, uh, unbreakable mindset. I mean, that's, and I don't know where that comes from, but it, it's there and doesn't leave. So how long were you with the insurance company before you changed directions or went to a different job? About two years. Was that the good amount of time or were they looking to try to get you to move up in the company? Yeah, well, so it was, uh, so I worked for two uh, producers or I'm sorry, two, two agents uh, underneath uh, farmers. And at some point they want you to take on your own agency and they'll, they'll say, Hey, you know, we're going to give you uh, 33 grand a year over three years as a loan to start your own agency and whatever you don't make back, you owe us. Oh yeah. So I, I think, I think the number is something like 92% of those agencies fail. Um, and so, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) Yeah. So that, that was kind of the direction they were pushing me. And then, so I was kind of at my, I was kind of at my, at my limit with what I could do there. And I had, I had that job prior to me having a college degree. So I knew there was something else I was going to be able to do as soon as I graduated. So, um, I, uh, I just started looking and, uh, I, again, I mean, this is, this is crazy. Um, so Robert Half is where I went after Farmers, which is a, they're about a $5 billion publicly traded staffing firm. And what's crazy is that the phone call that I made to Robert Half was actually about a, a, a role that they had posted for one of their clients. Like they were trying to fill a role for one of their clients. Mm-hmm. I called and left a voicemail about it. And the, the sales leader in this market called me back and was like, no, we actually just want you to come work here. Oh yeah. So I was reaching out about like a role that they had posted for one of their clients and they were like, ah, that voicemail was like, I can tell from your voicemail that you'd be a good fit. And I came in and had a couple interviews and they offered me the job. What was that position that they were offering for you? Like an entry level sales rep role for one of their clients. But then they're like, do you want to come, you know, be a a sales manager at, at Robert half. And so that was, it was just kind of like, it was a little bit serendipitous because I, I, had no idea. I, I didn't even know what staffing was. I didn't know it existed. You know, it was, I was still just, I just graduated just trying to figure out what was going on. And they were like, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a voicemail that, that we want you to leave our clients type thing. It's one of those things you never know what can happen in any situation. Yeah. A voicemail could lead to something better or something else. So what were you doing for that sales manager position? So really three, three main things. Um, and it was on a, on a weekly basis, the role would change. So, um, I worked on a team of, of three, including myself and 
one week you were in a sales seat, the next week you were in a more recruiting focused seat, and then the third week uh, you were coordinating those two uh, those two weeks prior efforts. So we always had you know open positions we were trying to fill, mm-hmm. and then we always had more positions we were trying to go you know trying to go earn more clients. So you you'd be you know, one, one week you'd be making cold calls and or calling on your target accounts to try to identify what roles they had open and if you, and if they would, you know, um, let let you and your team fill those roles. And then that next week, you'd be you'd be trying to go identify new candidates to fill those roles. And then the third week, you would actually do the the matching and the placement. So it was just kind of a rotation. Um, which, which was nice because you, you aren't doing the same thing week in and week out. You get, they call it full desk. And mm-hmm. so you get that opportunity to see the sales side, the recruiting side, the coordination side. Uh, so it was a really good experience and it is a very, uh, very, very cutthroat environment. So like if you, if you don't hit your numbers, like it, there's a conversation pretty quick. So, and, and again, it was that it just fed my competitive spirit. So it was a good experience. What skills did you bring from the insurance job that helped you with this job at the staffing agency? The ability to cold call somebody and close a deal. I mean, that was like my first day selling insurance. Actually, so my second day uh, at Farmers, they dropped a sheet of like a stack of papers on my desk and they were like, here's some, some numbers, names, and addresses. Let's see what you can do. And so, I mean, you're just making as many calls as you can every day to try to get as many leads so you can convert a certain amount of those leads. And so when I got to Robert Half, that was a big part of the business was, was getting on the phones and, and really just not being, not being scared to pick the phone up. There are a lot of salespeople that, that actually are really effective and, and great at their job. And they're just, they're just reluctant to pick the phone up. Um, and that was something that I've, I've never really dealt with. I'm just, I just have no issue picking the phone up and, call, and calling whoever I need to call and starting a conversation. So that was what helped me be pretty successful in that role. So something we talk about on the podcast is the power of rejection and overcoming that. So how did you overcome getting rejected on a cold call or <laughs> or something like that? Because you mentioned that some people are afraid of picking up the phone. And I, I'm a person that I hate like sales jobs in a way because yeah. I call and then I've done it a job. Actually, I did a marketing job where I had to go into like Sam's clubs and Walmarts and I had to sell a product. I had, uh, I had to be like an expert of, I think the greatest was I had to like a face mask, like lotion and stuff. And I'm like, do you see me? Like, <laughs> I don't use products. I don't like, I have bad skin and everything. You want me to be an expert <laughs> at this. So I right. hated that, but the rejection part got to me and I knew mm. this wasn't the industry for me. And it was just one of the first jobs I did out of college. And I yeah. I don't use it on a resume because I didn't last. Right, right. So in your in your time, how do you overcome rejections? Well, first of all, I think you have to you have to get rejected a million times before, like it's just something you have to go through. And so the like what starts with that is just accepting that it that's just part of the role and not taking it personally because it has nothing to do with you when they when they like when you call somebody and they're trying to get you off the phone. It's, it's not like they know who you are. It has nothing to do with, with you personally. They're just tired of getting called by a million salespeople a day. Yeah. And so what you have to do to not get rejected is not sound like every other salesperson that calls them. And even if that means 
being a little bit more challenging or direct, it's even if they still say, Hey, thanks man. But I'm, I, I gotta go. At least you've, you've set something up that you like, you made a different type of cold call than everybody else does. So that was the, the, that was kind of what I challenged myself with was I've got probably 30 seconds max for them to decide whether or not they're ever going to talk to me again. And so I spend a lot of time knowing why I'm going to call somebody before I call them and, and knowing exactly how I'm going to communicate my, my purpose behind the call. Uh, especially in my role now, I mean, the only people I talk to are co-founders and CTOs. So they're, they're swamped nonstop. So they need to know exactly why I'm calling as soon as I call. And so I spend a lot of time on that to minimize that rejection. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get into sales, you just have to accept that it's a part of it. And it just, it, it has nothing to do with you. And also you have, you have nothing to lose. Like if you're cold calling somebody, it's not like you have a relationship with them that you could tarnish. You don't, you don't have anything to lose with them. So, I mean, if you look at it that way, it should, it should eliminate quite a bit of the fear of picking up, picking up the phone. When you're working with the team at Robert, um, how were the, were you trying to move up and get higher and higher within the company or were you fine? Oh yeah. Position? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was lucky enough to do so. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, so my, my first role was I was selling and staffing, um, like in, administrative roles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it got kind of, um, brutal. I mean, like, so a lot of my roles that I was working on were like customer service roles and then HR and, and admin. And, uh, th- those roles are just, well, one, they're just not fun to recruit and talk about. I just, they're <laughs> not. Uh, and then, uh, they're just not, they're not as high impact to the business as some of the other roles and, and divisions were. And so I was, excited to get to those other divisions. So after, after about seven months in my first role, I got a tap on the shoulder to go work in their accounting and finance division. So at that point I was, um, I was working on like, uh, staff accountant, financial analyst, uh, bookkeeping type roles. So that was a little bit higher impact, but still pretty, pretty mid level. Uh, but, but did well there. And then eventually got to go, Uh, move into their division that's called management resources, which is kind of their consultative division where you start working on really high impact, long-term engagements like system implementations and uh, technical accounting standard adoptions and things like that. So now that's, and again, that's stuff that's way out of my realm. I have no idea, but you just throw yourself into it to make sure you understand at, at the baseline conceptually what your clients are talking about, what, you know, what the impact to the business is. Um, so yeah, so I got to work in three divisions there in, in two years and, and gain a lot of good experience that way. So what was the next transition for you from that job? Yeah. Yeah. So the next trend is a, a short one. Um, but it was one that I had to explore just because, you know, it was with a, it was with a privately held company here in, in Kansas city. That's, really, really well renowned. Um, and it's got a, you know, a great culture, um, a really cool work schedule. Like I got, I had every other Friday off. Um, but it was a corporate recruiting role. So it like took me completely away from sales. And the only reason I went there uh, was because somebody who I used to work with that Robert Hathaway previously left and, and gone to this company 
she reached out and said, Hey, we've got this opening on my team. Um, and it's just one of those companies where if they reach out to you, uh, you, you give them a shot. I mean, they just, they've got a, they've got a great reputation and it's like, all right, you, you got to give them a shot. And I did it for six months and about four months into it, I told my boss, I said, Hey, this is just, this is not for me. I mean, I was sitting behind a computer all day, just scrolling on LinkedIn recruiting and that was it. And I just, it wasn't, it wasn't something I enjoyed. So, but they were really cool about it. Uh, so yeah, I told them about four months in, I was going to start looking externally and, uh, and did that and uh, interviewed with four or five different companies for, uh, for sales leadership roles and, and ended up taking a job uh, with a, with a consulting firm um, that I was at previous to, to full scale. So looking back at your, with the different positions you've had, was sales going to be the only direction you wanting to go into or were you hoping maybe I would branch out into something else possibly, or were you fine with being in a sales or recruiting job? Yeah. Ultimately, I I think I knew in the back of my head, like sales is where I wanted to be at. And I even thought maybe I can move into sales at this company once I, once I establish myself, but it's just such a, it's an engineering company. And you can't really sell engineering services if you're not an engineer. It's just too technical. Um, and so I just, I, I wasn't able to, to make that transition. So, um, I mean, that was absolutely in the back of my head, like before I even got hired, it's like, I'm going to go in here and prove that I, you know, I, I've got strong business acumen and, and perform well and then transition to sales. And um, that's just, you, you can't do that at, at an engineering firm. I learned the hard way. Over time, were you able to lead a group of individuals or be just part of a team all equals? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly got to lead projects. And then, you know, I think um, go, going back to Robert Half, uh, there was a, a sense of whoever is performing at the highest levels in terms of revenue generation, people are going to start to follow those practices and, and adopt the words that you're saying to clients and, and your, your approach and your, and your cadences. Um, and so I, I was never in a formal leadership role at Robert Half, but it definitely became a thing where whenever we brought in new salespeople, it was like, all right, you're going to sit with Cooper while he calls clients so you can see how we're, how we're, how we want you to speak to clients. Um, and, and, uh, so that was, that was, uh, humbling and, and flattering. Uh, but it was also, you know, obviously it felt great cause it was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing something right. Um, and then at, at uh, the engineering company, one thing I, I was able to do outside of, uh, just core recruiting was we were implementing a system called power BI, which is like a, a data visualization tool for that Microsoft offers. And, uh, we were implementing that for a, from a, a town acquisition standpoint. So we were looking at, uh, retention ratios, which levels of engineers we were losing at, at what rate and why. And so I had the opportunity to, some, to build some dashboards around that and, and get uh, some light exposure to business intelligence tools. So that was, that was really fun. And I, I led that project. So uh, that was, those are my kind of my first, um, first levers of, of exposure to, to leadership. Were you one of those people that followed the person that was making the most in revenue or you were kind of like, I have to make myself stand out in my own way or do my own mm. kind of style? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I was lucky enough to be taken under the wing of, of the guy uh, here in Kansas city who was a top performer. Uh, and then, you know, truthfully, I eventually became that. Um, and so 
then it turned into me getting to take some people under my wing that I could see had some, some really high potential and kind of showing them the ropes. So it was just a little bit of that, um, just kind of that natural progression of that, that guy who was a top performer when I came in, he eventually moved to Houston to run a market down there. And so then I kind of became the, the guy uh, here in Kansas city that um, again, you know, not in a formal leader leadership position, but uh, was, was definitely performing at a really high level and, and, uh, and helping people as much as I could to do the same thing. I think there's, I don't know if it's a quote or it's like a kind of like a statement where a leader doesn't need the title. They just need to be able to be someone that people can look up to and ask for advice. Is that yeah. something that you lived by where you didn't need the manager title or the team leader, but you wanted to be able to lead a group on your own eventually? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something I've always been attracted to. And I think that still goes back to, to basketball. I mean, you, you, Again, this is not, you know, not saying a lot about me, just a little bit, just a little about the town that I grew up in. I, you know, I got to be a leader on the basketball court. And so then you, 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 you really, I mean, you enjoy that because you see the rewards and, and um, number one, I mean, let's be honest, how it makes you feel right. Um, and then secondly, watching, watching your teammates grow and, and uh, you know, if you give advice and they take it and it works, that's really, really rewarding for everybody. So yeah, that, that's something I've always been attracted to. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of people like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Simon Sinek or, or Sinek. I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he's, he's uh, a great, uh, he's got a great perspective on, on leadership and, and how to do that without being that like kind of dictatorial leader that we all kind of think about in those big corporate settings that are like, do this or else. He's kind of got a, the mindset, like he always says, uh, leaders eat last. Um, which is a really cool, if you, if you haven't checked him out, you should check him out. It's uh, I think it's Simon Sinek, last name's S I N E K. He's, he's awesome. Um, and then the guys that I work for now, I mean, they're, uh, they're both uh, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. They're longtime successful entrepreneurs. They've been building and selling companies for 15 years and they are incredible leaders. And so I, I am so happy to, I get to work with, uh, DeCourcy, our CEO on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I, I'm really lucky to just kind of get an insight into what it's like to be the CEO of, a, of one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. Um, and, and what that takes. I mean, it's 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 really fascinating. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely see myself uh, as a leader right now with a, a ton of room to grow. I mean, I'm only 28. I've only been working for about six years, so um, I, I'm I'm a long ways away from being uh, as good as I can be, but uh, I enjoy the idea and the challenge. I think you kind of hit it right on the nose where we're at the age where we're learning every single day and gaining skills any way we can. And I know from my experience, when I've had managers or directors in a position, I kind of like them to let me show them what I can do and not Mm. micromanage. I'm not, I hate micromanaging. (laughs) it kind of doesn't bring the best ability of the individual where if you're controlling everything I'm doing, it's, you might as well just say, here, just do it yourself. It's right. Like, For put sure. That, put that trust in me. And I think from your experience, your directors saw that growth that you had and that leadership that you had that they were able to say, Hey, we'll give the new person to you and you know what you need to do to get them ready to go and get going on those calls and stuff. Right. Did you, uh, do you have any, 
from, from the people that those managers or leaders that you worked for, do you have anybody who did anything that really stuck out as like, this is the type of leadership that I either want to adopt or, or really works for me? Oh yeah. I know the, the manager that I work best with is the one that kind of knows my strengths and weaknesses and she'll do anything to put me on projects where it shows my strengths, but will help me grow on my weaknesses. So one of the projects we usually do is design work, but I'm a person that I'm a trainer and a marketing person. So I'm a person that likes to be in with people talking to people, yeah. but the behind yeah. the scenes design world, that's just not my strategy, but she's been willing to let me take courses on design and I'm getting better and better each day. So we kind of test my skills in a way that there's been managers like that who haven't done that at all. They don't, right on a personal level so it's like you're supposed to help me grow and get me to where i want to be and i yep. think goal setting like if a manager has goals that you they want you to accomplish i'm one of those people i will work to accomplish that goal yep kind of like hitting your daily marks you want yep. to hit those daily marks i'm going to hit those goals by the end of the year that's awesome and it's good to know i mean like again so i'm I, I haven't, uh, I've only been in a leadership role for, you know, for not very long now. So that's why I'm curious. Cause I mean, I'm still, like I said, learning a ton about what it's like to be in a leadership role. And, and, um, I'm, I'm picking pieces of everything that I hear about leadership to try to create my own style. Um, and so that's, that's, I was just curious cause uh, I've got, I've got a lot to soak up for sure. Definitely. I think it's a lot of people think like if they're in a manager position, they got to be friends with the person, like their team, which mm. can be, but at sometimes you kind of have to be like, I'm your boss and we got to make sure we get things done in the way. But I think giving that trust to them over time, they'll respect you a little bit, a lot more, and they'll be able yeah. to put the best product out there and keep teaching them, like keep giving them yeah. the, like training courses, seminars, webinars, um, articles that about the mm. industry that you're in, any way that they can learn will help them even more. Yeah. I just started a, uh, I just recently started a Slack channel for our sales team called sales juice. And I just throw like anything that I think is just awesome in terms of here's how you think about, uh, prospecting. Here's a, here's how you, like effective ways to think about solutioning and discovering when you're actually trying to help a client solve a problem. Here's some cool ways to close a deal. Like any, anything that I feel like is, especially on Monday mornings to get the week going, you know, cause people are always, always slow to pick up the phone on Monday morning. So anything I can give them to like, to get them going, uh, we've got this, this sales juice channel uh, that we've got going and it seems to, seems to kind of pick up the morale on Monday mornings. So as a manager or leader in your scenario, what tips from previous jobs have you been trying to implement in a way that maybe you saw didn't work, but you wanted to try it differently? Mm. So, so the question is, what did I see that maybe didn't work? And so, sorry, I want to make sure I'm answering the question right. What, what did I see that didn't work? Yeah. So like in your previous jobs, you might have managers use certain tactics or um, okay. I, I, yeah. Work. Yeah. So it actually, you, you hit it, you hit home with me whenever you mentioned managers wanting to be friends. I ran into that. So I had at, at Robert half, I had, 
um, three managers in my three positions and all of them, uh, we were, we, it felt pretty, pretty relational. Like I didn't really view them as bosses and I still have great relationships with all three of them. And I think they would all, um, they would all say, yeah, that that's accurate. Um, and then there was, there was just one in particular who never, never really told me like, I want to be told if I'm doing something wrong and there's no way I'm doing things right a hundred percent of the time. And I never got one piece of negative feedback. And although I, you know, I did well, it was like, I'm, I'm certainly messing up every day. There's no way I'm not. That's just part of being human and, and especially in sales and fast paced stuff. And I just never, I, it's like, I felt like I, I never knew where I stood and it was almost like it didn't really matter if I was messing up. It wasn't like they were actually looking out for the growth piece. They were just like, Hey, is the revenue on the board? Cool. You can mess up as much as you want, as long as the revenue is on the board. And, and I get that, but it's also like, if you're seeing something, you're hearing something that I could do better, stop me in my tracks and tell me. Yes. So that's what I try to do. And, and, uh, I just try to balance that with, um, I try to, it's just, I'm trying to balance my candid feedback with, um, a level of, Hey, this is coming from a really positive place and I'm trying to help you grow. I'm not trying to, to shoot you or your ideas down. I may have already tried this tactic and it didn't work or, um, you know, for example, trying to sell somebody on LinkedIn is just no go. Like LinkedIn is not, a tool to go hard sell somebody like that's the one place that buyers and clients should be able to go where they're not getting bombarded with sales emails and messages and things like that. Like LinkedIn salespeople should be using that to uh, build brand familiarity and, and prove that they're an expert, like original posts with relative content to the market that you're trying to attract. And then whenever you do call them or you do email them, they remember your name from LinkedIn. But so, so sometimes we, we have issues um, in not even necessarily full scale, just in, in, in previous roles where people are trying to hard sell people on LinkedIn, like cold messages on LinkedIn. And that's just, that's just not the move. Um, so then it's like, okay, how do we, how do we utilize LinkedIn? Cause it is a powerful tool, but what, what prospecting mediums, do we use, how do we use them? And what is the cadence in which we use them? You mentioned with telling your feedback, I know with my managers, um, they're willing to listen to feedback. Like if I think with my company, there's so many different ages. I'm actually the youngest in my company and there's that I'm working with people that are double my age, but they kind of have to see what works for him, but what works for them. And some people have been with the company for so long that they're used to the same thing, but I'm part of this new generation where three new strategies. And so the way that you can interact with your team members and listening to the feedback and not taking it personally, I think works best. And like you said, telling them the feedback in a positive direction, like I want you to work, maybe try this to help you grow. They'll take it perfectly because they're kind of getting that message. Okay, I'm going to grow. He wants me to get better. It's not yep. like a, you're horrible at this. Stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Well, and, and if, if somebody on my team has an idea about, you know, maybe uh, an email campaign or, or certain messaging that they want to use when they call somebody, I never say, I really almost never say, I never shoot that down. I say, okay, cool. Let, let's test it. Like, let's see if it works. Even if it's not something that I would do, I'm like, Hey, test it out. Like if it, if it produces results and it's honest and, and it's got integrity and it, and it lines up with our company values, let's do it. Uh, and then if it doesn't work after a certain test period, it's like, all right, we got to throw that away and let's talk about a new idea. Yeah. Building those relationships is definitely important because like if you have that relationship with them, it's, you're going to be a seamless team and nothing yep. break you guys. How did you find full scale? I think you kind of mentioned it, but what brought you to full scale? <laughs> another, another pretty crazy scenario. And that's where like, I, I just want to drive home the idea of, especially if you, or somebody that doesn't have a lot of direction in life. Cause I really didn't. Um, I just knew I wanted to do something that made me feel like I was accomplishing and impacting my community. Mm -hmm. um, I just have continuously thrown myself into situations where I'm like, Hey, I don't know what the outcome here is going to be, but I know I want to be in this space. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, um, whenever I was at, I was at RGP, which is a, a pretty large consulting firm uh, that works with really large enterprise clients. I started going to a, uh, an entrepreneurial type program called 1 million cups. And uh, it's a, it's a Kaufman foundation. So it's, it's based out of Kansas city, but now it's kind of all of the U S and basically what it is is 1 million cups is every Wednesday, a couple startups come and pitch to this, to an audience and the audience could be, people who are trying to help startups with, you know, professional services, it could be investors. It could just be people who want to go do something on Wednesday mornings. Uh, a lot of times they'll bring high school students there to kind of get exposed into that. So I started going to that actually got really involved in it, started helping out with managing their social media as all volunteer work um, started, you know, one part of it was a startup would pitch their idea. And then afterwards we'd sit down with them and ask them questions about, you know, hey, what's, what's your revenue model? What's your three to five year plan? Just, and, and then interact with them in front of the audience. And so I even started, you know, I got to the point where I was the one sitting down with, with them. Um, and so going there, I met, I started becoming a part of the startup community in Kansas City. Um, and just over the course of a few months, I met a few great people. And uh, one, one person in, in particular, uh, his name's Ezzy Redwood. He's an entrepreneur in Kansas City. He's connected to uh, a girl named Erin Falk, who uh, she's an incredible entrepreneur. She runs Lillian James Creative here in Kansas City. Uh, and their, their company does, does great work, uh, B2B marketing agency. And uh, we, we saw each other at a restaurant one night and just had a quick introduction. And then like, uh, less than a couple months later, I reached out uh, to Aaron and said, Hey, there's rumblings of layoffs at the company I'm currently at. I want to get ahead of this. This is the year. I, so I'm, I'm getting married in a couple months. Uh, you know, we're looking to buy a house. I said, Hey, this is not a year for me to not be able to control my own future. Um, and ultimately my company wasn't going to lay me off. Uh, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be in that, in that package of layoffs. Mm -hmm. So by the time they made their decision to keep me, I had already, Aaron had already connected me to Matt and, uh, and I mean, it was just too good to be true. I mean, I, I, uh, I have a huge passion for 
having uh, my hands around helping a company blow up like that is, and actually seeing the impact every single day. Again, I was at these previously, I was at really large corporations where I got great experience, but everything was set in stone. The sales process was already there. The, the CRMs, all the systems were in place. And this is, Hey, you're going to be the first real sales hire for this company. And uh, you're responsible for helping us blow this thing out of the water. And so having that opportunity was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. There's a, you know, a little bit of risk because it's, you know, a startup, we're only two years old, but that risk is going away day by day because, you know, we've grown to a team of 200 developers and provided over 400,000 hours of client service in two years. So we're, we're blowing up and uh, it's, it's just really cool to, to be a part of a small team. There's only, there's only six of us here in the U S and then our, our development team actually sits in uh, Cebu city, Philippines. So yeah, man, you kind of put your own stamp on things. Like you're able to come up with like a certain process and it's like, you can say yep. this blows to even bigger. I was part of the start of it. Yeah. Kind of so yeah, it just, it just goes to show though, like as, as true as the, the saying, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, that is very true, but I didn't know the guy at Farmers. I didn't know the people at Robert Half. I didn't know the people at RGP actually. So when I left Black and Beach, I went to RGP um, and was lucky enough to become the youngest director level hire at that company in, in their history. And that was off of uh, a LinkedIn. I sent a, I sent a LinkedIn connection and said to, to the person um, who I eventually replaced because she got promoted. And I just said, hey, I want to learn more about your role, your, your company, just like a general outreach. And that turned into a job opportunity. And, um, and so, I mean, you know, it just, it, it can just happen if you just throw yourself out there. And again, you don't, know, you don't have to know exactly what the outcome has got to be. You, you just have to put yourself in the position uh, in that space that you know you want to be in. You got to put that on like a poster or a neon sign, that outcome quote. They even, yeah, I feel like people can live by that and they'll remember this interview and be like, oh, I remember him talking about that. How big is networking for you? It's, it's, uh, massive. It's huge, especially, especially with a, a company like full scale, you know, as much as we've grown, we've still only been around for two years. So, you know, we're not, we're not a, a 25, 30 year established company where people know us and, and you know, every market in the U S mm-hmm. um, you know, thankfully again, you know, all our founders are, are well known in the startup community. One of our founders um, in 2012, he sold a company for $150 million. So, I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, he, he they, we, they've had great success. The other, uh, the other founder, he's written three best-selling books, actually a couple of them right there. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've got a great foundation, but it's still, we've still only been around for two years. So taking the time to um, leverage my network that I've built organically over these six years to say, hey, um, even if our companies are an actual fit, give me 25 minutes to tell you about what we're doing and, and why it's so impactful. And maybe you can point me in a direction that that might make sense. And that's, that's helped me uh, catapult some, some really strong relationships pretty early on to, to help full scale. So networking is huge. It's obviously a little bit different uh, post COVID, you know, there's, you can't do a whole lot like 1 million cups. 
doesn't exist anymore. You know, um, right now we can't do the in-person pitch, pitch deals. Um, you know, of course there's the, the zoom happy hours where you can kind of get on with the networking groups, but it's just not the same. So now it's, now it's taking the time, you know, like I, I, I took the time and said, okay, who are, who are 30 to 50 people that I know I can reach out to and they will introduce me to a couple people because of the relationship that we have. Those are, those are the best types of, I mean, that, that's just so much more effective than a cold call. Even though I feel like, I feel like if I have one superpower in life, it is cold calling, but those warm introductions are unmatched. It's always like someone that you may reach out to know someone that might be yep. the perfect candidate or the perfect client for you. You just have to find that path or that person that can get you to that person. Yeah. Yeah, so for sure. How has the pandemic affected the business or has it not affected the business at all? Yeah. So, um, at the risk of, at the, I mean, I don't want to come off tone deaf and, and I'm certainly not. It's, it's been, really challenging for a lot of people um, that, I mean, it's, it's impacted a, a lot of people and businesses in a negative way. And, you know, that there were going to be, we'll call it, we'll call them, you know, winners and losers of this situation. Um, and we happen to be in a pretty good position. You know, again, we're, we offer remote software development services. We build remote teams quickly and affordably. That's our, that's kind of our, our tagline, right? So, companies had to go through layoffs, uh, but their software development still had to be serviced. And um, we're, we're a cost-effective, high-quality model that has been attractive during this, during this pandemic. So, um, you know, we're, we're at a really good spot and, and feel very blessed and grateful to, to be where we're at. So what does the future look like for you professionally and personally? So personally, which, you know, I'm constantly reminding myself and, and getting better about reminding myself the personal part is more important and it'll, it'll feed your professional growth. Um, most importantly is, is um, you know, the next chapter of my life is I'm going to be a husband here in a, here in a couple months. And it's really important to me that I, um, am a, a great husband and I, I don't obviously I'm, I've never been one before so I'm still finding out what, what that what that definition is but I'm really focused on that right now uh, I really want um, to, to support my wife to be in, in every way possible and just want her to know that she's she's got a best friend and a rock and and, and all that stuff again you know with my parents um, they, they divorced early on uh, I'm dead set on being a superstar husband. I really am. And so um, that's a really important uh, part of my, my personal life uh, coming up and, you know, wanting to buy a house and, and do all that stuff. Um, and so I, I think, but I think what, what keeps me focused on all that is keeping a really strong pulse on, you know, what my, what my top values are in life. And I mean, they, they correlate directly to work and then making sure that whatever my values are, my actions align with that. You know, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a different way of saying you gotta, you know, you gotta walk the, walk the talker or, or walk the walker or whatever it is. It's like, I've got these core set of values. 
I've got to make sure that my actions line up with that. So conceptually, that's how I think about it. Um, and then professionally, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're at full scale. We are, we're really aggressive. We think, I mean, we, we are doing something differently than anybody else in our space is doing. Like we, we literally created a new software development service model. We call it guided development. Uh, it's built specifically for startups and small businesses. And like I said, I mean, the fact that we've provided over 400,000 hours of service in two years is not an accident. Like that's not, that's, that's because we're doing something right. Um, and so we're going to keep building on that. I mean, we're, we're dead set on becoming the number one software development partner in the U S I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal. I mean, we're not doing, we're not doing this to, to do okay. Um, we're doing this to be the best. So professionally, uh, I, I'm looking to help blow this company up in any way that I can, um, grow a large sales team, build a, a world-class sales organization and, uh, and have an impact on the startup community. And that's, that's what I love so much about full scale is we are supporting startups and small businesses all over the U S and in, in fact, all over the world right now. Um, we've got a couple clients in, in London and Australia and, uh, that there's, there's a really fulfilling sense in that being the fabric of, of our country is, is, you know, the startups and the small businesses. I love supporting that. And, and I, I love to, to be a part of something where we might, we might help build a product or an application or a machine learning algorithm from scratch that eventually becomes a huge company. Um, so it's, it's fun to be a part of that. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of, kind of going off on a rant here, but I, I just get excited about what we're doing. No, that's all good. Sometimes it, it shows the passion that you have for yeah. the company that you work for. If you're able to talk about it for a long period of time and go on tangent, you can just tell the passion. Yeah. For the industry that you're in, what tips or advice would you give someone to rise to the challenge in the sales industry or the industry that you're in? Yeah, so I'll answer, I'll split that up into two. So um, from a sales perspective, uh, it, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit, it's either going to be refreshing or damning to people, but you just have to accept that like, sales is still sales. There's, there's new technologies. There's absolutely ways to, to optimize and, and, and spend your time more efficiently. But when it comes down to actually closing a deal, you're still, people are going to buy from you if they feel like they can trust you and you respect them and you're listening. Yep. So it's, it's just really important. Number one, you got to have thick skin. You have to be able to pick up the phone every day and you have to truly try to be a partner and not a vendor. And that might mean telling a client or a potential client, Hey, Mr. Client, you're not the right fit for us. Like we do that at full scale all the time. My number one sales value at full scale is disqualify the client. Like I want to do that as soon as possible because if you guys don't make sense for our model, there's no sense in forcing the partnership because then you're just going to have a bad taste in our mouth, in your mouth about us when it doesn't work out. So like, don't be scared to, or, or timid to, to know who you should and shouldn't work with and respectfully move on quickly. Um, so that's my, my sales piece. And then as it relates to te 
technology, like I, I can't code one line at all. Like I am not technical in the, in the least. As you can tell from this conversation, I am a generalist and uh, I, I'm, I just happen to be pretty good at sales. But what you do is you throw yourself into that space. So like from a, from a software development perspective, I've gotten really obsessed with understanding, okay, what are all the back end languages? What are all the front end languages? And then understanding their relationship between the two. If they've got this back end, what front end are they probably using and what are they trying to accomplish? I don't know anything about it technically, but I can, I can understand the impact of the business. And that's not because I'm technically educated. I just threw myself into it. So if you're diving into a new space, I did the same thing with accounting and finance. I can't, I can't book a journal entry. I've never, you know, I, I don't know. I can't do any of that, but you, you do enough of the homework to make sure that your clients know that you're at least trying and you give a damn. I learned that stuff in college. I don't remember anything about accounting. I don't even, no. that's the one thing. Like half the subject, like business law. I don't even know anything about that. Yeah. But let's talk about sports law. Cause I was a sports management major. I can, okay. I can know that cause I had to deal with something, but you kind of mentioned getting out of your comfort zone in a way. And oh I, my gosh. I kind yeah. of like how you said you with coding and stuff or understanding the technology background. I was the same way with designing. I, was on a call with someone and they were doing all these designing words. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, yeah. do I need to go on YouTube or something Google <laughs> to understand what you're talking Absolutely about? Absolutely do it. Yeah. I'm like, give me like the simplified version or the simple terms and then go, let me grow into the more technical terms. But yeah, getting out of your comfort zone, anyone that's listening to these interviews is that's what makes you grow as an individual in a way. Yeah, no doubt. It, it's, it is, having having a lack of fear of failure is wildly powerful like if you truly just don't give a shit about failure like just knowing that failure as long as you don't give up that's not really the case correct and so like i've i've fallen flat on my face so many times man and uh it's it's like okay that sucked keep going and I mean, if you can keep that mindset, you'll be, you'll be good. Yep. For, from your experience, what tips or advice would you give someone listening to this interview to rise to their challenge, to overcome obstacles and accomplish their goals? That's a loaded question. Um, we hit the loaded questions every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I, a, a friend helped me with this recently and it's really, it's helped me a lot. And I mentioned it, I touched on it earlier. Just t take the time to list out what your top values are. Like really, like what do I really, really value? Like what do I, what do I care about? What's important for me to, to either thrive as I am right now or, and, or become the best person that I can be like, what, what are the values of that? So for me specifically, like, well, my number one value is gratitude because I, I um, again, I, I didn't come from a whole lot, but super, super grateful for um, number one, still being in a, in a pretty good position compared to my, my, my parents and the hand they were dealt and what they provided for me, super grateful for that. But then also having that, having that perspective of, okay, this is where I came from 
and this is where I want to get. And not like just knowing, knowing that difference, I feel like has been such an advantage to me and just the, like my, my, my killer instinct is it, it comes from that. So, and I don't, that comes from a, different, a, a ton of different places for everybody else, but just like, take, take the time. Like you, you don't have to rush. You're, if you're listening to this, you're probably super, super young. Even if you're 30, you're really young. Just take your time. Like what really makes you tick and then build a life around that you'll have less fear and anxiety and, and, or you'll be more okay with it. And also I just heard somebody say this the other day and I like it a lot. If you can't get over the fear, just do it scared. Mm-hmm. Like just, and, and the great thing is that once you do something that you're scared of or, or whatever, and then afterwards you're like, damn, that was not a big deal at all. Like I, so yeah, I mean, you just have to, Man, it's it's tough because I just want to tell people like go go do some shit like just go try out a bunch of stuff that lines up with what you really care about and and find out what you're really good at or what you want to become really good at and put in the work to get there. It's it's and there's not a formula for it. They just got to do it. I think people have that mindset where if they start getting those negative thoughts in their head, that they kind of block out what they're wanting to do. And they mm. kind of have to start building their self-confidence. And we did an episode where it's kind of like you have to do the trial and error. You got to go try something. And if you fail at it, you learn from it. And then you continue on and you don't let it stop you. So, yeah. if I, I mean, I had the same thing. I did that marketing job. I tried it. I failed at it. Didn't want it. But that didn't stop me with what I was doing. I'm yeah. still growing as a person. And like you said, go for it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. You fail, you get back up and you continue going. Yeah. I mean, dude, before I made my very first sales call at farmers, like the first sales call I was ever going to make, I had a, I had a panic attack. Like I had to go in the bathroom. I had to, I had to like get my breath under control because I was going to pick up the phone in front of these. And it was only three people. It was only like the two, the two guys, the two agency owners and then one of their salesperson. And I freaked out because I'd never made a sales call. I'm like, uh, this is going to be terrible. And now, you know, now I feel like cold calling is what is like one of my biggest strengths. So it's like, you just got, you just have to do it. It's not going to be that bad, whatever it is. Well, Cooper, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. I think all the listeners are going to learn a lot from your story and how to get over their fear go for whatever they wanting and they will accomplish once they see the success that they have. Hopefully man. One final plug podcast to podcast. You guys should check out the startup hustle, especially you. It's, it's hosted by our, our co-founders. Uh, it's, it's everything tech startup, winning, losing, failing. Uh, it's, it's awesome. It's, and we bring on other CEOs and entrepreneurs every week to talk about their challenge and, and their passion and their experience. So you should check it out, man. Oh, I will. I'm a person. I, I like to learn. So I've been getting on like podcast binges where yeah. during work I'm listening to podcasts because you never know what you can learn from people's stories. And that's what I enjoy right. doing these. It's you never know what you're going to find out. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major podcast platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episodes in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You 
decide.